Tony and I felt that our interview with Sybil Towner was so good that we would break it into two episodes. The conversation focused on her response to what does healing mean to you and our commentary will be in episode 42. That will be released later in October. In this episode, I am sure you will enjoy our wide-ranging conversation with Sybil Towner, current owner of the Springs Retreat Center in Oldenburg, Indiana, and the retired director of spiritual mentoring at Willow Creek Church in Chicago. She is now also involved in counseling and training through One Life Maps. You can find that at onelifemaps.com. And I've got to say, she is a master storyteller and listener of stories. Revealing Voices, the mental health podcast, raising unanswered questions, sharing unanswered prayers. We are faith-based, peer-led, story-driven, and stigma-breaking. I am Tony Roberts. I am Eric Riddle. And we are Revealing Voices. Okay, Sybil Towner, my, my wife and I uh, went to the Springs Retreat Center back in May, Memorial Day weekend. I had a really good time. And uh, one of the big parts of, of your retreat center is walking. Beautiful trails. You have a labyrinth there. And on our last morning, I was just kind of walking about and uh, I ran into you and we had a really good conversation. Yes. <laughs> just kind of out of nowhere. And hey. on the way home, I said, you know, I think Sybil could be a good guest for the uh, Revealing Voices podcast. So it's been about three months and uh, uh, Jen is actually coming back to the Springs uh, oh my gosh. next month. So she's doing a retreat. Well, that's wonderful. So she's really happy. She wanted me to say hi and she hopes to meet you yes. then. Good. Tell her if she connects with me or wants a spiritual direction, I would certainly be glad to meet with her. That might be a good transition. Tell us a little bit about what you do in spiritual direction, spiritual mentoring. To begin to tell you, I, I'm just going to go to a just a little bit of a kind of a backstory. Yeah. Uh, just because uh, the people who are listening uh, to this, to just recognize that who we are actually in the essence of who we are shows up really early. It's the kind of thing of what made you late for dinner uh, and where time sort of just disappeared. And it was a putting together of Kronos time and Kairos time. Kronos being clock time and Kairos being God time. And when people reflect on their stories and uncover those, they're really uncovering a part of who God has really designed them to be. And so that showed up early in my life and it showed up through some hard things. I became the oldest of six and had to take care of siblings because um, there was not totally adequate care. And uh, then when I was married and in my 20s, my parents died within three months of each other, a mother and stepfather, and we became the guardian for them. And moved into a space that was not something my husband would have ever 
gotten, he was, he lived in a small home and that, but when you have eight, two sons, three and eight months and four teenagers, you just need a little bit of space. What I always said to Dick is it was God's movement in actually uncovering both of our gifts, but gifts that Dick would probably not have known how to celebrate and fan into me due to his pretty sort of stringent stewardship model at that time would not be the case today. So as my brothers and sisters grew up and left, people began to come and ask if they could live with us. And when we lived in that house for 25 years, we had 68 young people live with us. Oh, my goodness. And and who were in college, college graduates, first job, sometimes a parent sick and a high school kid, and they needed a place for their teenager to be. And what I did was I listened to stories. I did that with my brothers and sisters um, in a different kind of way. And then when these people came and we'd be preparing dinner and they'd begin telling me their stories. And I was a student of scripture. And I was at that time, I was studying scripture and became a teacher of the Old and New Testament. I couldn't have told you right at that time, but story. God's Word, which is 70% story, and we were in the middle of uh, creation, and we were in the middle of the 60s and 70s. So just uh, our nation's story was in totally upturned, not even unlike today. It sounds like at some point you went from being a real listener of story to someone who would reflect upon the stories you're hearing and maybe that's how mentoring started for you like what what does mentoring yes. mean well it 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 means a number of different things there's a mentor early in someone's life that is a bit more directive in the catholic tradition the novitiate director was very directive with the new men and women who were to become brothers and sisters in whatever orders. So when it is a young person, they are trying to get their life together. And so uh, there's, there's a bit more direction. The older someone is, it becomes less directive unless a person is terribly unformed. And that can happen. That sort of there's kind of a reverse mentoring that needs to happen, but it is a drawing alongside someone and encouraging who they are and then inviting them in spiritual direction. It's inviting them into spiritual practices, which would be true in mentoring as well. And so probably one of the organizations that focused on this and still does is uh, is the Navigators. They do one-on-one mentoring. Mm. InterVarsity. InterVarsity does it. Their focus is on small group mentoring. I see. And then Crusade, I mean, they all focus on every one of those, but they have a particular sweet spot. And Crusade tends to focus on more the big group. Mm. Again, it has the small group. It has the one-on-one. 
but but it's just they carry a sweet spot into how their organization came into being. And there are, you know, other side groups, but those are big three within the evangelical tradition that have morphed and are even changing today. So that's an early mentoring, but you're helping someone get their lives together. And as um, you mentioned, Richard Rohr, and he talks about that uh, you need to answer these questions. What makes me significant? Who will go with me? And how will I support myself? And so, you know, you're talking talking to people about the kinds of friends they have. You're talking with them about who they might do life with as it relates to who they might marry or not marry. Um, You're talking with them about who they're going to be in the workplace. Dick and I have sat down with probably hundreds of young couples. Okay, how are you going to manage a budget? Because if you have a leaky roof in your house, which is what we call the where your financial plan is, mm-hmm. it goes into every room in the house. So that is a mentoring because, and it's a spiritual mentoring because that's what God has given us to steward. And if it all belongs to him, how we use it makes a difference. You used what do the you term think? earlier about unformed. If a person is unformed, they may need a different kind of mentoring. Unpack that a little bit. And uh, Richard Rohr speaks about this. You know, he says when he grew up, and I would say uh, not totally for me, but uh, in growing up, but he said he grew up in a very conservative environment. And there was a right and a wrong, a black and a white, and really a moral compass. And he says that's a great way to begin. But we have a generation that hasn't grown up that way. And so what you hear someone saying to a kid who's about to graduate from high school, you say, you know what that kid needs? They need to go into the service. Now, what do you mean by that? What do you think that means? They need to learn the rules and follow the rules. Yeah. And and that's, that's actually what you were to learn between the ages of 6 and 11. You were learned how to be fair play a game, game on the playground. And the focus of that is just not as apparent in this generation or even the generation before it. So they haven't learned good habits then lead to a more open way of living. So they have to fall on their face in some ways and say, all right, how do I learn to do these things that we're basic. It feels hopeful to me that wherever we are in the life of the world, there's a way to invite people on their journey home. And when I think of that, on their journey home to him, mm-hmm. that's what true mentoring is about. Helping someone become who they really are, believe in that, and then journey towards God. Listen for the ear notes of that journey. And and as you said with mental health, there are things to let go of. There are voices to release. Mm-hmm. When you are mentoring, how often do you have a sense that it is, maybe you're not dealing with a clinical situation, but I'm sure some people that you, you do work with do have diagnoses and they, they do need clinical care also. How, how do you walk alongside people who also have 
have diagnoses. I think all of us have some kind of diagnosis. <laughs> so, so the first thing is I say I'm less on in my spirit. I'm less unlike you than than we think. So that helps me not put somebody in a box while recognizing there are chemical imbalances, there are trauma, trauma issues. Here's an example of someone who came to live with us out of college. And so his there were three men living with us and these guys wanted to bring him. He arrived at our house on his birthday, didn't know it, found it out, celebrated him. So the first thing was being celebrated for who he is. Then chopping vegetables in the kitchen, he begins to tell his story. His, um, his uh, let's see, his father killed his mother, went to jail. He was sort of fostered around. Then his father got out, remarried, and the woman that he married was just unkind. She locked the refrigerator, so he couldn't get in it. So he left home at 17. So here he was now doing normal things. And so one, Daniel Siegel says this of emotional intelligence. He said, if a person is deeply listened to, the neural networks change in the speaker as well as the listener. Wow. This, to me, is also a part of Scripture, which is not a science book. But when Jesus says, where there are two or three gathered in my name, I'm present. Mm -hmm. And we have put that end into the coffee bar at the church. You were saying that having that Scripture at a coffee bar is kind of trite? Well, I'm just saying anybody who comes into the church, really, and today, absolutely, is looking for something. Right. And they're looking for something deeper than having coffee. Right. The questions that are asked, where do you live? What do you do? And then the church is hungry to get you involved. Mm -hmm. It is less hungry to get to know you because that is really hard work. Mm -hmm. You know, Eric and I um, co-facilitate a uh, group, a mental health support group called Faithful Friends. And recently, because of COVID, we've had to go on Zoom. And one thing I found, and Eric might attest to this as well, is that, you know, Zoom does not allow for very much intimate conversation. <laughs> and I'm curious to know... Uh, how this has impacted your ministry as a retreat center? Well, it, it hasn't really impacted the retreat center because, um, I mean, we were closed until mid-May and then opened again to singles and couples, which you were a part of, Eric, uh, and then in June to groups. And we don't do programming. I do teach a school of spiritual direction for sustainable faith. And we do have it prepared to be online. But we are going to meet on site 
um, and we will have the social distancing and the things that we need in place. If we can be in person, even at some distance, I, I want to try to make that work. Yep. Now, on the other hand, I've done some Zoom retreats and workshops for One Life Maps. Listen to my life as the uh, product or portfolio. But we have had really some good success. And I think there are some things to really learn in the utilization of Zoom that still is second best, but it can cover us in this season. Mm -hmm. Sybil, uh, changing the subject a little bit. Yeah. Uh, could you talk a little bit about just kind of the more routine parts of career, you and your husband, that led you to where you are now with uh, the retreat center? Yeah. People have always been something that's important to me. That's what I noticed. You know, here I am, the oldest of six, living in uh, some, some different spaces, but I went away to college and studied education because, again, that was going to put me in a place of actually a type of mentoring. Mm -hmm. You know, teaching is, but it's a specific type of mentoring as I reflect on it. But even in that time, I was a head resident for 90 girls, 90 freshman girls as a sophomore. Wow. In those days, uh, that is 19, 1950, uh, uh, 58, yeah. I checked every room every night yep. at a state university and, wow. and made sure that they kept their rooms in order. No boys. I mean, what, yes, again, would never have be done today. No. And I just entered that campus, but I left home when I was 17. And I said, I have to figure my life out. And I wasn't seen well at home um, in the sense of being known. And there was something um, in me that just uh, had to figure that out. I was a Christian. I certainly went through a space of doubt, but I came to a place of saying, God, you know me better than I know myself, and of saying, okay, I want to go on this ride of life with you. So when Dick and I married, he became, we were going into the Peace Corps, but he became head resident of one of the dorms, uh, and we lived, we you know, we lived with 300 guys wow. for a couple of years. Which Again, that didn't bother me. Bowling Green State University. Okay. So we lived there and then came to Cincinnati in 65. Dick was a dean at the University of Cincinnati in the dean of men's office. You know, we were just in the middle of the sort of the 60s. And I went back to volunteering at the church and Dick and I led the college age group and then we began to do pre-marriage counseling and then I pulled mothers of young children together and at the same time when I was a senior in college I went to work for um, a uh, private um, girls camp in Minong, Wisconsin and I worked there for 16 summers. Whoa. And really <laughs> to develop and so dick and so dick and i prayed just said is this the place for me to be yeah. took our boys and took my brothers and sisters and i really learned leadership through the 60s and 70s this guy believed in me and that's part of what developed me i left there and then the church came and said would you start a leadership camping program 
And so I did that at the church in Cincinnati and then was the minister to families with children and young adults mm -hmm. and did that for 15 years. So all of the ancillary programs that run with that. And then Dick became, left the university young, with- This has kept you young. Yeah. It, <laughs> You're looking great. So I, I, I went to camp every, yeah, I went to camp every year. It was listening to kids and it was putting together, you talk about the retreat center. I helped kids put together their story. Creation, which is the first Bible, it's the invisible nature of God made visible and God's word. That's what we did. That happens in spring. Yeah. With those prayer markers. Right. Yeah. You come with your stuff. What you have done with those benches at the retreat center is so good. There's a bench that has rest on it. There's a scripture that goes with it. And then there are some questions for you to reflect on with your story. That's right. Uh I sat on every one of those benches. I, I really had to go yeah. go at it to find them all, but I, I marked yeah. them off the list and sat and prayed. And Yes. Yeah. yeah, we have put no numbers on them because we know there are people like you who, if we numbered them, they would have to do all the numbers. <laughs> so, I got back so, to the place so. I was writing, like, community. Uh, yeah. Humility. I, I, can't, yeah. I can't remember all the things. on. You on, know Eric too I, well. Yeah. I remembered the, the theme for each one. I had to figure out which ones I'd missed. Yes. Speaking of numbers, we, we've had a little bit of a fun time um, in our conversation with Eric, my conversation with Eric about the Enneagram. And I don't know how deeply you want to go into this because it is, it, it is a deep subject. And, you know, we don't, you know, I, I feel like with, with my mental health diagnosis, you can't really diagnose someone in, uh, you know, a phone interview, but, <laughs> but, um, yes. How have you found that to be useful in your work as a spiritual guide, spiritual mentor? Tony, that is uh, a great question. Normally, if somebody is coming for spiritual direction, they are, they may not be able to verbalize it, but they're, what spiritual direction is about is your intimacy with God they're trying again to figure out their life, where God is. And if you think about the Enneagram, again, this is a roar quote, but when we were children, we created emergency solutions to deal with the environments in which we grew up. And when we grow up, we need to bring those emergency solutions under the redemptive work of Christ. And so so there's this sense in a person who's coming, it's a little different in their 20s, but they're coming in their 30s and 40s and saying, the way I've been living life isn't quite working. One, my body is a little more tired and I can't quite do the things the way I did. And is there something more? I've really, I've tried to deal with this anger issue, or I've tried to deal with this approval issue, or I've tried to deal with making sure I'm safe issue, and it's got me. Right. Uh, so the Enneagram creates a language in which to talk about something that is a bit mystery, it has a depth. This is when, what I want to work with is not tabletop 
conversation about the Enneagram. For the sake of, the, of time in this conversation, could you speak yeah. to how the Enneagram has impacted your own life and your own spiritual journey? It has helped me know my shadow. It's helped me know how I have taken care of myself. So if I, I, I identify as a three, and so as a three, to realize that deception and my deceiving myself sometimes into doing more than I could mm -hmm. um, or promising something I couldn't quite deliver. And so, and this journey of coming home to the truth and then connecting to my neighbors and then connecting with what's called the harmony triads, the head, heart, and gut. So in my family, feelings were not allowed. Mm. And, and the childhood message that came, um, came through for me is that you are loved for yourself. I was loved for what I could do to help the family. They didn't mean to do that. Right. But it was just the nature of the difficulty in our family. And so the unconscious childhood message was that it was not okay to have your own feelings and identity. And probably the most profound place that that showed up is in my early 20s, I came across a Christian uh, writer, Henrietta Mears, who matched the energy inside of me. She was a Christian education director, and I took on her principles and said, I'm going to live these out. And I, and she happened to be single. I was married with kids, so it took a lot of energy. And I lived those out till I came to a point in my 50s where what she had in her job became uh, a possibility in a job setting that I was in, and I was denied it because of my gender. Mm. I mean, it wasn't mean-spirited. It was just what people felt at that time, but it broke me. It absolutely broke me. I chose not to speak about it, but I went to Gethsemane, oh, yes. uh, which is where Thomas Merton was, and I took um, I took In the Name of Jesus by Henry Nowen. I took my Bible, and I took A Chance to Die. What is A Chance to Die? Elizabeth Elliot, and it's a story oh, yeah. of Amy Carmichael, a missionary in India for 50 years. She spent the last 20 years of her ministry on her back. I thought, I can learn from her. Wow. She broke her back. So, I sitting in the quiet of the, just hearing your utensils in the dining room, are the stations of the cross and Jesus and and Jesus spoke to me and said Sybil walk the stations of the cross and I said that feels a little too Catholic <laughs> well you were at a Gethsemane right I mean it's yes yeah but <laughs> but he came again and said Sybil walk the stations of the cross I said okay but I will have my Bible and so I I I took my Bible and listened again to the suffering and pain and the self-sacrificing love of God for me. And again, the basic fear of being worthless and without inherent value and competence. And I just met that now as a woman and now as 49 and I heard it. And then he took me out on a hill and opened up John 20 
and just said, Sybil, do you love me? Mm. And I said, you know I love you. <laughs> then feed my sheep. And do you love me? And again, and a third time. And then he said, when you were younger, you went where you wanted to go. So he's thinking of the Enneagram. That's how we all have to go. Yeah. You have to have a container to give up. Right. That's right. I, I just, you seem to have given yourself a lot of grace and I, I, I don't want to interrupt, but you know, that no. the beauty of that is, uh, as I was listening to Roar this afternoon that, you know, he talks about until we give ourselves grace or show grace for ourselves, we don't show grace for others. You're absolutely right, because that's, that is the storehouse of love and compassion. And so the seeds of that were, were in me, but I had to live enough life. And, I had, and for me, as a three, I had to fail. It wasn't a public failure. And, I had, and, I, and there had been another failure where, that I, I really lived into. So I just saw the grace of God going before me in that. And so he said in that in the text, um, I will dress you. And for Peter, it meant the way he would die. But for me, it meant a lethal blow to my ego. Mm -hmm. And so that begins then to do a work. And at that point that we left the church in Cincinnati and were called to Willow Creek. And now from being totally known, I was now an ordinary person and I had to build relationships one at a time but out of a very new space of listening your time at Gethsemane was in, in that transition from Cincinnati to Chicago yes okay and again it was a year out but it was definitely you know was it was right in that yeah. transition period and my and my husband was going through but at the same time, um, he he had a different experience. He was burned out. And so through a clearness committee, which is a Quaker decision-making committee, he realized that he needed to leave his position at the church. And so he spent this inter... We have to take this space of time for quiet, re-looked at life, re-looked at all his thoughts about leadership, stewardship yes. and it just rebirthed in him that which sent him on the next arc for us the next 19 years at willow so when we went to well just to say this went to willow people were 10 years younger than we were and they were all kind of at burnout and so when i went to willow i listened to people because i was 10 years further down on the journey One of the things Jen told me about the Springs Retreat Center is that it's made in a way to really help pastors who are feeling a little burnt out to come and reflect and uh, re-energize, rejuvenate. I, I would think that most retreat centers would, I mean, that would be kind of part of the whole reason to retreat, but it seems that yes. for you, it's a little more intentional. So I'm just, I'm really curious what intentional steps you all are taking at the Springs to to really do that healing work for pastors who who may be on the edge of of leaving their their positions. Yeah. 
think you're right, Eric. We have been very intentional. And Skip and Linda and Dick and I, first of all, we lived in the house we lived in 25 years, then we sold it to them because we had mentored them. So we lived in the same house for 49 years and doing retreats. So so we really got this. So one, the, what the cabins look like inside, simple, undistracted. Dick, my husband, he works at making the outside and Jerry as undistracting as possible for someone to meet God or to be found by him. Mm. There is beauty. The flower, I mean, in this season, uh, flowers and vegetables. We have a community garden. It's open to you. Mm -hmm. This speaks about God's abundance. We've built trails. When you get on the trail, you don't even know where a cabin is. Right. And you can feel lost in that space. Um, we're building a hermitage for day retreats mm. uh, for people. We invite people into our home. We invite we offer spiritual direction. We have chickens and horses because creation speaks. I can't tell you how many people go down and just love to look at the horses. Right. The Holy Spirit uses them. Or go out in a boat and fish. Or just go out and sit on the small two-acre farm pound. Everything in it has said, we are here for you. God is present. Be listening. Mm-hmm. In each cabin, Eric, if you remember, all right, there are some people, uh, we also have a labyrinth. Yes. So a labyrinth, okay, a labyrinth is a space to connect your head, your heart, and your body. There are people who, in the Christian community, who say it is cultish or not right. But honestly, it's what the people of Israel did. They kept going around in circles, and God kept meeting them. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's what a labyrinth is. It's, it's just your life that has twists and turns. It's not like a uh, maze. I, I proposed to Jen in the middle of the labyrinth. So we, we are both very, very fond of, of labyrinths and I, I'm trying to get one built here <laughs> uh, in Columbus. This is like a long-term project. Well, Dick manages it and we built it. Our family came, our sons and, and daughter-in-laws and grandchildren, and we built it for our 50th wedding anniversary. Oh, wow. It's really been well used, but in each cabin, there's a booklet uh, with uh, retreat experiences, how to do a Lectio. Mm, what yes. is silence and solitude? Yes, there's a lot of prompting of how to do different spiritual practices there at your retreat center. Yeah. I was really happy about that. Are there any features of your retreat center that we haven't talked about that you would you would like to highlight? Well, I think the the other one is is you know there's no meal plan. You bring your own food. Mm-hmm. That I mean that just takes a pressure off. I can fast. Mm. I have food allergies. I can bring this mm-hmm. or not. You know, not bring this. I can eat at whatever time I want. Yeah. And then there is a meeting space. That if there is a group that comes, that uh, the our cabins hold up max 24, but normally about 20, can be held by the four cabins. And we have a meeting space that uh, is able to be used. And you would have like a kitchenette in the cabin so people could eat food? Yes, in the cabin there is a stovetop, a crock pot, a refrigerator, a microwave, 
you and there's a grill outside and there's also a hot tub oh my goodness yes. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> what kind of a bear stark retreat is this well i want a bed, bed of nails <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Ninety percent of our bodies, isn't it? And ninety percent of the world is water. That's true. So wherever you can have water, it speaks. Yeah, That's right. It just draws us. Well, I can't wait for you to come. I know. I, I'm very excited. Yeah. Tony is actually getting off topic a little bit, but Tony uh, is getting ready to publish his second book in less than a month i mean he's uh -huh. like a couple weeks off well actually the kindle version is on amazon as we speak okay yeah. what is it but it's interesting because my wife and i have talked about doing a she is also a writer and we've talked about doing a writing retreat i definitely think she comes back she's in um california right now and she's having well i should say she's having her retreat experience but she's watching her three grandchildren so that's that's not much of a retreat um well it 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 is in a very different way yes she's actually being a spiritual mentor as a grandmother <laughs> exactly well she loves it but it is yeah. exhausting but when she comes yes. back i'm seriously thinking about just taking a two or three day break um T tony's father yes. just passed away yeah Oh so I'm in my! The midst of I am grief. so sorry. But it was sorry, a blessing. Tony. He, he was 80. Um, he knew the time was coming to an end. He had cancer. You know, I asked him the day. We won't go into my dad's story. We've gone into that. But I asked him the day before he died. You know, are, do you feel you're finished? You know, have you, have you, uh, are you ready for the end? And he said, "Yep," very clearly. Uh, we prayed, and he, you know very firm grip on my hand and you know released that and said amen and within three hours he was on his way to the end oh my goodness tony take time yep. to just reflect what are the stories that surface i mean this you know what you're talking about here is is about mental health yep just as you say, uh, gripping his hand. Mm -hmm. I mean, think of all the times his hand has held yours mm -hmm. or all the ways he used his hands. Yeah. And I think of him um, actually an ending that leads to a new beginning. Mm. And that's really a truth in life. But here's this, this, this is a mental health thing. And I, I'd be interested in what you think about this. But in the church year calendar, it is set up that ever that begins with Advent mm -hmm. and beginning of Christ, the incarnation, and every shift in the church year calendar, there's an ending, leather beginning. Mm -hmm. And and when you celebrate that uh, and live in that rhythm each year, you like the rings of a tree, you deepen your life in Christ. Mm. Now, here's what I find with people as I've listened to them over the years. Some people don't show up at the beginning of anything. It's it's awkward. Have you ever been the first person at a gathering? often you know what a, <laughs> yeah yeah <laughs> yeah but it's but it's awkward yeah and so people kind of show up when there's there's milling around and they leave before it's over yeah 
they just and yeah. they don't ever come in at the beginning or leave at the end which is where there is awkwardness and there is often pain mm-hmm. there there there's a tenderness there's a vulnerability but there are people who just kind of like to shift in and shift out yeah but that but that's that's really not life well and that circles back around to where you began or where you spoke earlier of like of chronos and kairos time yes you know there is a linear feature to time you know i was born i lived i died but then there are all these moments that remind us or like circles in a tree as you say that we circle around and they're points of emphasis so i mean again i know that this faithful friend that you're a part of this mental health one of the things that you had asked me was uh, sort of how do you put this together the church that dick and i were a part of in cincinnati got this they got that um that the psychological impacted the spiritual and that you had to deal with people's stories and stuff and issues that you couldn't just say okay everything has passed the old is gone the new has come there's a process there's a process and and in being able to speak a story creates a validation and creates a a pattern of forgiveness and and the discovery, what I feel is a discovery in Christ, that I'm stepping into healing that's already been given, but I need to access it. Mm-hmm. It's housed in bringing all of that together. It's not housed in saying, I'm never going to look at this again. Right. You have to redeem parts of you, not destroy them. Because God uses all of it. Right. Everything belongs. It's odd to say that, but it is really true. Well, for me, I think with in my own mental health, it's like things happen, and you can look at them in different ways, but a lot of, I think, the struggle with mental health is you see something that's happened, you, and you just like say, that's bad. That's a bad thing. I'm going to try to flee from that thing and forget about that thing, never deal with that thing, try to get past that thing, whatever. But to to say everything belongs and say there's actually a different way of looking at at what happened and you know you can call that redeeming it you can call it just reframing you know however you want to say look at it differently that to me is what's been very healing right i'm not trying to yes. to destroy parts of myself from my experience i'm trying to to look at them you know through Christ, right? I'm trying to look at them through the resurrective power of appreciating those struggles I've had, and and that's really helped me heal. Right. And so what you have done there is you have taken away the power of the event over you. Right. Here's a story, a true story of Nelson Mandela. Nelson's in solitary confinement, and the guards are walking him back to his prison. And they're saying, you're not walking fast enough. And so Mandela turns around and faces them and starts walking backwards. Mm -hmm. So he's looking at them face to face, which is what you and I have to do with our stuff. Right. Looking at it face to face. He starts looking at them and he says, what do you do on the weekends? What do you, do you have a wife? 
you have kids, and by the time they got back to his solitary cell, he was the free man. Great story. And yeah, and that's, you know, that's a part of our journey is in that naming and then bringing it under the redemptive work of Christ. There are as many ways of doing that as there are people. That's right. Sometimes that happens to people when they come and sit around our table. Two things that are the centerpiece of our home are tables that seats 16 people and the picture as you come into the living room. So the next time you come, you'll have to make sure we'll have you for dinner. Um, is the picture of the return of the prodigal son. Mm. From the Nowen book, right? Yeah. Yes. We have that yes. in our house. Yes. That's yeah. in our house. Yes. Yeah. Yes. And so that picture, and that identifies who God has called Dick and I to be at this time. Because we have all been younger brother. Right. Or, you know, in his culture, younger sister. We have all been the elder brother or elder sister. Mm-hmm. And there's a point in life where we are called to be the mothers and fathers of God and welcome the children home. Mm. You know, if you look at my early life, you know, I'm the older sister. Right. That's the role I played. Yes. But it's not so that I can remain because then I become self-righteous. That's right. There's a book by uh, T- Timothy Keller called The Prodigal God, and he turns the, the, the phrase on its, on its side and says, you know, because God's love for us is so liberal and overreaching, um, it's actually God's prodigal efforts to reach out to us. I like how he yes. does that. Oh, it, that book, yes, Tommy, thank you for mentioning that. And I put that in your show notes, both of those. And, you know, you want to talk about mental health. If it's a, something that you all would want to read, there's a new book out, just came out in 2020 by a Gabriel Crenshaw. And it's uh, Henry Nowen and the Return of the Prodigal Son is the oh, title. Okay. And it's the back, and what it is, it's the back, back story on on his writing of the return of the prodigal and his angst and what he was going through and his loneliness and the therapy he went through and the people who wrote him and said henry you need to become the father yeah oh wow you just feel the vulnerability he was in russia going to actually yes just contemplate the painting right for days or weeks okay yes and here's why when when henry went he was at the lowest place in his life in his growing up his mother represented the love of christ his father represented achievement and he was wrestling those all of his life when his mother died the profound sense of loss and grief entered him. And he was in Har- Yale or Harvard. Um, I'm thinking like Yale. Maybe I'm wrong. Yale. And, and he was in such an achievement-oriented place. The loneliness overcame him. And he was going to see someone from the arch community yep. walk 
walked in, saw that painting. And on that painting, if you look at the hands of the mm. father on the son, he was riveted to that because of the compassionate, overwhelming love of God. He wept. It connected to the deepest desire in his own being. We'd love to have dinner with you sometime. That'd be, that'd be a lot of fun. And you can count on me coming down for some R&R. <laughs> oh, my gosh, Tony, we would love it. Well, this has been a great interview. We, yes, we've gone thank in you, a lot Sybil. Of different directions here. And, uh, All right. There, you, you've lived a very fascinating life and done a lot of great things, and we, we've touched on a lot of that today, and I look forward to continuing to get to know you, hopefully, with future retreats. Yes. Tony, our show has come to a close. Now is the time to ask for five-star reviews. Please scroll to the bottom of our podcast homepage, click on five stars, then click on write a review. Help us reach more people seeking emotional healing and the hope of faith. Thanks again for your support of Revealing Voices. Revealing Voices is not a substitute for professional mental health care or participation in a faith community. If your unanswered questions or unanswered prayers leave you feeling desperate or unsafe, we urge you to seek further help. A partial list of outreach resources may be found on our website, revealingvoices.com. I, I'm spiritually salivating here, and uh, <laughs> I must ask a question. We'll edit it out if the answer is no, but uh, do you accept dogs? <laughs>